Morning, folks. Thanks to Craig and the praise team for, for leading us this morning, preparing our hearts as we uh, come to the Word. Uh, we're in Genesis 29 this morning, going to work through uh, most of the, well, at least some of the, the 30 verses that we find at the start of that chapter. Um, I'll set out the stall at the beginning. We're not going to go verse by verse through this chapter. There's just too much. We're not even going to, I don't think, plunge a depth that's in this chapter. Simply, I want to, to bring out a few devotional thoughts from this chapter, uh, which will, I think, really help us, help us all as we seek to, to live our lives for the Lord. Uh, that might sound like an excuse. Maybe subconsciously it is. Uh, but, but more than that, I think when we're working through a whole book and you look at some of the themes that come up in the book, you look how the chapters link in, you know kind of what's coming up in the next chapter, two chapters time, you know you're going to return to some of the same things. So I just want to kind of look at a couple of aspects, of, as I've said, in this chapter, which I think will be really helpful. I'm not going to read the chapter, uh, we're going to, going to kind of work our way uh, through it this morning. Now last week, if you were here, uh, when Mez was preaching about the encounter that Jacob had in Genesis 28, he said, if you remember, that Jacob's life would never be the same again. Do you remember he said that? That, that really stood out for me in what was shared last Sunday, that Jacob's life would never be the same again. Why? Because Jacob had met with the living God. Now, he still struggled, um, and right up to chapter 32, Jacob will show that he's still spiritually immature, but he had been changed. And as we'll see, Jacob needed to go on being changed. And as we go through this chapter today, have both sides of that in your mind. A believer has been changed. That's a great truth, isn't it? A believer in Christ has been changed. But a believer needs to go on being changed. A believer is not what they once were, but a believer also is not what they will one day become. We're no longer ruled by sin, but we still struggle with sin. So on the one side, we need to keep reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, the Bible tells us that in Christ Jesus, we're a new creation. That's good news, isn't it? In Him, we're a new creation. The Bible tells us we've been born again, that we've been forgiven, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that God started a good work in us, which He will complete. The Bible tells us that we're secure in Christ. Just have a read of Romans 8, for example. The Bible tells us we're part of God's family. At the same time, though, we still must remember that we're still weak sinners. We still make mistakes. We still make bad decisions. We're not perfect. And so we, re we recognize, or we should recognize, that we need to commit ourselves to those things that are going to help us to grow in the Christian life, those things that are going to help us grow in spiritual maturity, those things that will help us to grow in wisdom. Now, coming back to Jacob, at times in this chapter, we're going to see that Jacob gets who he is. 
and he, he's going to live in the light of those great promises that he received at the end of chapter 28. At the same time, though, he's a noob. He's impulsive. He's spiritually immature. He's still prone to act according to the old life. So see this. In this chapter, we're going to see the old man and we're going to see the new man. We're going to see the old Jacob and we're going to see the new Jacob. But starting with the good stuff, there's no doubt at all that those great promises of chapter 28 had been etched on Jacob's heart. So as you look at verse 1 now, what, what we see, what's working behind what we read in verse 1 is that those promises are burning in his heart. They impacted him as he set off in this journey. So look at verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Now the start of this verse literally reads, Jacob lifted up his feet. That's important because what that means is that the verse is telling us that there was a lightness, a lightness in Jacob's step that as he endured this difficult and long journey, a journey, by the way, which took about 15 days, Jacob goes forward with excitement, with urgency, and with expectation. And I think there's an application in that, isn't there? Because as we go about our journey, we do so with the great promises of the past and also the great promises of the future. So what's happened in the past at the cross tells us that it is finished, that our sin has been dealt with, that we've been forgiven, that we're part of the family of God. And as we go forward into the future, we have the promise that Jesus is coming back for us, that Jesus is going to take us to the place that He has prepared for us. So no matter how hard things are for you today, no matter how hard they become, we, like Jacob, we can move forward with a spring in our step, with a, with a lightness in our step, because God has made great promises to us too. Promises He's already fulfilled, and promises that He will fulfill. So as you think about your life today, as you think about what you're going through today, remember those promises of old and those promises for the future. Now for Jacob, he knew that he'd received the very same promise as his dad Isaac had and his grandfather Abraham had. He knew that God had promised him the promised land. He knew that his offspring would fill that land. He knew that through his offspring, the families of the whole earth would be blessed. So as he starts to think all about that logically, he thinks this, I need a wife. If this promise is going to be fulfilled, I need myself a wife. And until that moment, he knew that God was going to be with him because God had promised. He knew that God would keep him. He knew that God would fulfill every promise. And so as Jacob made this journey, this long journey of about 500 miles, it just felt like a, a few steps to him. So much did he trust in the promises of God. 
Now, as you arrive at verses 2 to 6, we find a number of further things which help Jacob. Notice in verse 2 that we see mention of a well. Now, Jacob knew the stories of old. He had known the stories of chapter 24, when his grandfather's servant had gone looking for a wife for his dad. And having prayed, the servant met Rebekah at the well, who became his dad's wife, his mum. He'd have known the stories of his dad in chapter 26, and God's great provision of wells. So in Jacob's mind, grasp this, wells were good places. Wells were places where God worked in his family's line. So as Moses writes the book of Genesis, he sets the scene for us in such a way that the reader knows that something important is going to happen in this chapter. And of course, that's what we see. In verse 2, we're told that there were three flocks of sheep lying by the well. And what would happen is that the shepherds would uh, gather all their flocks together, and when they were all there, they'd roll back this stone which was in place to, to store and to purify the water, and then they'd water the flocks together. So Jacob sees the three flocks, he sees some shepherds, and he asks this, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. In other words, they tell Jacob that they're from the area where he's got family. That's no coincidence, is it? Jacob then asks if they know his uncle Laban. They answer, we know him. Jacob says, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Again, none of that's a coincidence. God is at work. And I don't think there's any doubt that, that Jacob is understanding all of these events in the light of the outworking of God's great promises. Now, in verse 7, Jacob shows that he's a good shepherd, and he says, Behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go pasture them. So he's given instructions to these shepherds that are hanging about. Perhaps to him it seems that the shepherds are being lazy and careless, but that's not the case. Look at verse 8. We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. So I hope you can see where the story is going. There's something about this last flock which is going to be important to the story. Verse 9 then, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. In fact, Rachel means you, a you lamb. At this moment, everything falls into place in Jacob's mind. Jacob's thinking as Rachel arrives, this is of God. God has guided me. God has guided her. This is part of God's promise for me. And you'll notice in verse 10 that he springs to action. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, remember what we've been told. This stone needed many men to move it. 
but strengthened by his knowledge that God is with him, Jacob rolls back this stone single-handedly, and he waters the sheep. He then kissed Rachel, most certainly in the light of her being a family member, rather than, I guess, romantically, and he wept out loud. What's happening? Well, Jacob is moved. He's overjoyed at what's happening here. He knows God is blessing his journey, and what he's sensing is that in all of these events, God is providing him with his future wife. In verse 12, Jacob reveals his identity to Rachel, and then Rachel runs to her dad to tell him all that's happened at the well. Seems everything's going well. Seems that that's the case even more when you look at verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Now the Hollywood ending to all of this is that they get married, have loads of beautiful children, and they live happily ever after. But it doesn't quite go like that. If we've seen plenty of the new Jacob, we're about to see that the old Jacob is still hanging about. Before that, though, I want to invite you to think of times where, where you've maybe rushed into things a little bit too quickly. I remember being at a burn when I was a bit younger with the boys, and we saw this massive trout swim past. I mean, it was absolutely gigantic, about a 10-pounder. I know fishermen always say that, but it was absolutely massive. Now, discussions started happening amongst us about how we were going to get this thing. One of them says, I'm going to run home for a net. Another one goes, I'll get my fishing rod. And I'm thinking, it's an absolute waste of time. That fish is going to be long gone by the time we get back. So without a second thought, I spy the fish, take aim, and dive head first into the burn to catch it. And I'm telling you, it was an absolutely amazing sight. As I come out of the burn with this 10-pound trout in my hands, took it home, we had it for supper. Unbelievable. Of course, it was unbelievable, because what really happened was the thing swam off as soon as I jumped in. I'm coming out the burn, absolutely soaking, new trainers, Lacoste t-shirt, and I look like an absolute clown. As Christians, we need to be careful not to rush into things too quickly. In verse 15, Laban puts to Jacob what seems like a really good offer. Because you are my kinsman, because you are my family, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Sounds good, doesn't it? We're told that Laban had two daughters. In Jacob's eyes, Leah wasn't anything special. But to Jacob, Rachel was something else. He had eyes for her. And we're told he loved her. So Jacob replied to Laban with these words, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, in these days, what would happen is that the father would receive a bride price. Basically, 
in the father's eyes, that daughter was worth something. She, she worked for the family. So when the daughter goes, the family loses the income that that daughter helped the family to get. What Jacob offers here is approximately worth two times as much as the usual bride price. I think we're right in assuming this. Jacob has rushed into things. Unlike Abraham's servant, we don't see any evidence that, that Jacob prayed. We don't see any evidence that he sought God's face. He just steams in. It was right for Jacob to recognize that what was happening in the events that had led up to this were the work of God. And so it should have been his natural response to pray to God, saying, Lord, if you are in this, lead me. What should I do? What would you have me do? But he just makes this commitment to offer seven years of his life. But, but let's be honest, it, it starts well. He serves his time. He serves his seven years. And such is his love for Rachel that it just seems to him like a couple of days. He then asks for his wife, and you know what's in his mind. He's done his seven years. He wants his wife. And Laban organizes a big feast, a big wedding reception. Verse 23. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went in to her. Come the morning, Jacob realizes what's happened. He's absolutely fuming. What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban offers the reason. It's not our custom to give the younger daughter first. And the upshot is that after finishing the bridal week, Jacob's promised Rachel if he serves another seven years. Now, we'll bring out more of this story in the coming weeks, but just look at verse 25 again. What is this you have done to me? I served with you for Rachel. Why have you deceived me? But let us not forget, Laban is not the only deceiver, is he? It's interesting that Jacob uses the very same word for deception in verse 25, that Isaac, his dad, uses of Jacob in chapter 27, verse 35. Jacob's like, Laban, you're a dirty deceiver. Completely forgetting that he was guilty himself of being a deceiver. The deceiver has now been deceived. So this chapter, we see that Jacob, he's going steaming right in. He runs into a plan that backfires on him. And there's lots for us to think about in that. I wonder, maybe today you find yourself in a situation and you're faced with making a big decision. Maybe it's about your job. Uh, maybe your house. Maybe a relationship. Whatever it is, whatever decision you are facing today, this week, this month, or this year, we need to learn from Jacob, don't we? Don't rush in. Don't go steaming right into the burn, 
head first. Take your time. I'm not talking about procrastinating, but I am talking about taking your time. Seeking God's face in prayer. Asking God to help you to see things clearly, to discern things, to make a wise decision. Pray that God's will will be done. Spend time in the Bible. Think things through. Speak to people you trust who are spiritually mature. And then after that, make your decision. But what if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I wish I'd known that about a month ago. What if you can look back in your life and, and you can see actually you've made bad decisions? What if this morning you are here and you know full well that you are still living with the consequences of bad decisions you've made? And consequences which, by the way, may linger for some time yet. Well, look again at Jacob. Make no mistake, every single day during these next seven years, he was reminded of the thought, not only of Laban's deception, but also of his own. But here's a thing to see. And this is going to be helpful for you if you're still facing the consequences of bad decisions you've made, of having rushed in too quickly. Because what we see, I think, in here and in the coming chapters is that God worked the badness of Jacob's mistakes and Laban's deception, which, by the way, they were responsible for, but God worked them for good in Jacob's life. By the way, we'll see the same thing happening again in a different way with Joseph, won't we? God can make bad things and bad decisions and, and bad situations, but still somehow in His sovereignty work them for good. And you can do the same for you too. Because this, this kind of second block of seven years, it forced Jacob to look at his heart. And maybe as you sit facing the consequences of your mistakes, it gives you the opportunity to focus on your heart. The pain of Laban's deception would help Jacob to look to God. It would help Jacob to grow in humility. It would help Jacob to learn from his past mistakes, even though he'd repeat some of them again. This period of seven years would be used by God to discipline Jacob, to help him to rely on God, to realize the importance of, of trusting the Lord with all his heart and not leaning on his own understanding. Maybe this morning, again, you have made some of the mistakes Jacob made. Maybe the, you know that you've been a deceiver, a cheater, a traitor. Maybe you've been guilty of the unhelpful favoritism that plagued Jacob and his family. Maybe we've trusted in ourselves. But please hear this. These things, these mistakes, these errors, these sins 
They don't need to be the thing that defines our lives. They don't need to be. Jacob messed up. Jacob continued to mess up. But praise God that the promises of God stood. God fulfilled His promise to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob. And from the line of Jacob, hear this, this same Jacob we saw last week and this week and we'll see again, from this Jacob came Judah. Came the 12 tribes of Israel, by the way, but particularly Judah. From Judah would come David and eventually Jesus. Your messes, your bad decisions, your sin doesn't need to be the thing that defines you. Instead, we turn to Jesus. We turn in repentance as we respond to the one that this passage points us to. In this story, notice in verse 7 that Jacob cared for the sheep. Notice in verse 10 that Jacob rolled away the stone so the sheep could be watered. We can't read those verses without thinking of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who truly cares for his sheep. Jesus is the one who not only loves his sheep, but shows his love by dying for his sheep. And having died for his sheep, having died for his people, Jesus was buried in a tomb which was sealed with a heavy stone. That stone, of course, couldn't keep Jesus in that tomb. That stone was rolled away as Jesus rose in the glory of his resurrection. And as Christians, we, we haven't drunk still water from a shepherd's well. We've drunk living water supplied by Jesus, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. And that water, the Bible tells us, becomes a spring welling up to eternal life. Jesus has provided all we need. It's not one thing you and I need that Jesus doesn't provide. Jesus leads us into green pastures. Jesus strengthens us. Jesus forgives us. Jesus helps us to grow. He helps us to put the old man to death and to grow in our new identity. Maybe this past week you've been struggling with the old self. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, you will know that battle. The old self, the old man, the old woman is still powerful. If you're struggling against the old, ask Jesus for help. Ask him. You and I don't have the strength to go alone. But we're not alone. God is with us. His family are with us. And you and I can walk in victory each day by the strength God gives us. Because His grace is sufficient. So come to Him today. Trust in His promises. Trust in His timing. 
and move forward with that lightness in your step, knowing that Jesus will return for you if you are His. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And please remember this morning, if you're a Christian, you're not the person that you once were. You're not. But you're also not the person that God is changing us into. Remember Philippians 1.6 this week. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.